Episode 28 of Shake Down the Numbers. It's going to be an exciting one today. My name is Cooper Klaus, and I am joined tonight by Eric Thomas. Eric, how's it going? Roman, I say, how's it going? Or you ask, how's it going, Coop? And I say, it's going well. It's not going well. It's it's not going well. <laughs> <laughs> two two days hasn't helped. Uh, kind of help the tides. Kind of no, roll over. No, because my morale was already low, and then the Chiefs just like dog walked the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm just a I'm just a sad boy. It's just the the reality I live in. <laughs> yeah, as a Vikings fan, it was pretty. Yesterday was pretty fun. Must at least yeah, that helped. Uh, <laughs> yeah, numb the pain a little bit. Yeah, it's, today's September 12th. It's Monday. We're gonna yeah try to make sense of what happened on Saturday against Marshall. We won't really preview Cal that much. We're gonna just kind of talk about more so a referendum on the program right now the state of the program and where things need to go from here i I do think things are better than they seem um just kind of from consensus like perception or opinion but there are things that need to change and we probably have a difference we probably have like some tangible ways to do that and like recommendations that i i don't really have much faith that will actually happen based on who's in charge of the offense but uh we'll get into it so yeah, Notre Dame falls to Marshall, twenty-six to twenty-one at home. The defense gives up nineteen points, pick six in mixed in there. Notre Dame throws. Was it, they throw four interceptions, three. or no, three, and then a dropped yeah. one by Drew Pine. Just all around, a confusing, confusing performance. I think the let's start here. I we can get into the defense later. Let's start with the offense. That's the biggest thing, in my opinion. The continued insistence and just misunderstanding of where Notre Dame's strengths are as an offense has seriously hampered this team. And I think a lot of the the players you would hope would be, we would be better at this stage, especially on the offense side of the ball. Tommy Reese has been in the program four years now. He, these are his guys. He's recruited these guys. He is, this is his system. You would hope things would be better, but also not understanding that they were likely going to struggle coming into the year. The model had them as, the 45th best rushing offense and that and despite having an opponent adjusted EPA last year per rush of that ranked 97th in the country and they have since fallen 10 spots in the model they're now the 55th best rushing offense uh, according to the model the the claims that oh we ran the ball fine in camp we ran the ball really well again really well in camp is in my mind not a good enough evidence to base your entire offensive philosophy and strategy for the season around where you struggled last year mightily. The offensive line improved, but you had to replace Kane Madden, who, despite all of the fan, a lot of fans' opinions, actually like graded out pretty well according to PFF. He's really struggled early on in the year, but I think turned it around. But also, a lot of that's due to a kind of easy schedule and lack of quality competition in a stretch run in November, where it was what Georgia Tech, Navy, Virginia, Stanford, who were. <laughs> Maybe maybe had twelve wins combined last year between the four, and despite that, Notre Dame has on early downs thrown the ball or on early downs has thrown the ball forty have thrown the ball forty five percent of the time. Not once in the Tommy Reese era have they been above fifty percent throwing on early downs for a season. The help me make sense of this because th- this is where I I just don't understand. There's so much evidence to the contrary where Notre Dame should be passing, and I don't want to hear it where. Their quarterback is not good enough. The wide receivers aren't good enough. It doesn't matter how you stack up there compared to the rest of the country. It matters how you 
stack up to the rest of your team. If you can't run the ball better than you throw, I don't care who's under center. You could have a JV high school quarterback. You throw the ball more because that's what you're better at. It's the choosing at this point. It's choosing the lesser of two evils, and I just don't understand how we keep having this conversation after week after week, loss after loss. Yeah, it's it's painful to kind of dive into the roster stuff before the early down because that's also a critical conversation. I mean, look, I'm not giving Reese a pass on the recruiting, but there's a reason Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander are gone. Like, it's not good. Jeff Quinn was a nice guy. Uh, he was fun to recruit with, let me tell you. He was uh, – that man can tell a fishing story better than anyone you know, but apparently he forgot to recruit guards, which is just a shocking development for an offensive line coach. We have a bunch of converted tackles playing that position, which is like – I know Jarrett Patterson played like reasonably well, but when you're trying to cover up for Zeke Carell pretty much the entire game and you're also trying to teach Joe Alt how to pass protect like on the fly, yeah, it's uh, it's not going great. And then – the wide receiver room, yeah, yeah, that's bad. It's just not good. Like, Braden Lindsay is actually pretty good at getting separation, but he can't catch a cold. And I don't think Jaden Thomas developed one yard of separation that entire game. It's just brutal watching those guys go out there and play right now. And, like, I know Jaden Thomas is young. He probably has a higher ceiling than, like, we're giving him credit for right now. But, like, that's a guy who's probably going to come on like his senior year and he's being pressed into service his sophomore year. Cause it's like the boat is sinking and we need someone to just plug a hole in terms of the early down stuff. It's just so, so frustrating to watch. I, I gave up counting at one point cause I was just going to drive myself insane, but I know in the first four or five drives of the game, we had four situations of second and 10 or longer. One of them was a second and 15. We ran the ball on all four of those and we got a combined seven yards. Like, you have a young quarterback making his second start. You have a quarterback who clearly is, like, still developing comfort levels with any level of passing concept, let alone, like, familiarity with the offense and chemistry. And your response to that is basically, like, you know what's a winning foundation? Let's just put him in third and long repeatedly and just throw him to the wolves. It makes no sense. And you're right. Like, look, Buckner didn't have his best day, although I think some of the interception stuff can be blamed on Reese as well. Additionally, like in the pick six, Jaden Thomas fell over coming out of his like break. Like if you go back and watch that, he's almost freaking sideways as the corner comes across him. There was just no way. It was great defense. Marshall was sitting on those passes all night. They were basically playing with underneath leverage, waiting in the low zones the entire night. And Jaden Thomas, as soon as he slipped, had no chance. Michael Mayer was wide open off the snap, which is just like a young quarterback thing. He should have seen it in the trips right formation that they didn't cover him off. But like... It's just so frustrating. I, I, probably I feel that sigh. Right now. It's, it's just so frustrating to watch it. Like The first down stuff, there's ways to be creative with first down runs that they don't even necessarily have to be passes. Like The jet sweep to uh, was it Lorenzo Styles was really creative. They used a motion. They got the offense entirely shifting basically to the left. The entire defense shifted left, and they got 22 yards. If you want to run on first down with this team's weaknesses, do stuff like that. We've been pretty good at jet sweeps over the last few years. Get Chris Tyree in space because he's the only running back who's efficient. Until Logan Diggs realizes he's not prime Le'Veon Bell, just stop giving him the ball. Because at one point, he had a fourth and one, and he just like danced to the outside and took a tackle for no gain instead of just going up and getting it. Also, the two runs on third and two and fourth and one back-to-back, just like shoot me. 
please just shoot me. That was terrible. I was waiting for us, watching the game, like, we're going to run up the middle and we're not going to get it, aren't we? Cool, it's fourth down. We're going to run it again, aren't we? Cool, all right. Like, it was just so predictable. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I I think Reese, there's a reason why Sean McVay likes Tommy Reese. It's because the play designs he does are actually pretty unique and creative. But, like, the order of play, or of like play calling them and the players he has to run them is just totally wrong. And it's like, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff on the whiteboard that's a lot of fun. But, like, if your guys can't run it, you're not really helping anybody, dude. Like, that's just not... It's not good. I miss Kevin Austin and Kyron Williams. It's it's a sad day. <laughs> Remember when fans were complaining about Javon McKillian and Bennett Skoranek as our, being our starting receivers? Yeah, Bennett Skoranek, who started the season opener. Oh, man. The... Yeah, and like what like to that point, like one thing Sean McVay gets knocked for too is like he has a tendency to run on second and longs a lot and run and sit yeah. in situations he should be passing. And I think what elevates good play callers or like the best play callers from just being a great play designer is actually creating easy situations versus just having creative playbooks. And I think that's Absolutely. where where if Reese had the talent and Notre Dame had the talent that could optimize this game plan he'd be looked at as like an offensive wizard probably but you have to tailor your game plan and your your playbook to the personnel you have and i think there's been a lot of stubbornness and yeah just general stubbornness and wanting to play the way he wants to play and not the way he has to play i think i I tweeted this out tonight this is monday september 12th by the way but notre dame has faced 24 second and long situations, which I define as seven plus yards on the season. They have a 33% pass rate in these situations. That's the ninth lowest rate in the country. There are two of those teams who have um, thrown fewer are army and Navy who run the triple option. So only seven other traditional offensive teams have thrown less in that, those situations. Or no, six because they're ninth. Yeah. Six. <laughs> 25% of these runs have gone for positive EPA, 25% success rate. This is this is where getting into how Notre Dame can alter and improve this offense without asking for significant jumps and improvements in personnel is just altering the play calling here. Over the last nine seasons in these situations, the FBS average running the ball has been 21 to 24%. Notre Dame's at 25%, just operating right around average. Nothing like they're not crazy below expectation there. It's just impossible to run in those situations, really. Throwing the ball, it's 38 to 40%. That that That's the situation. Those are the types of areas where you can actually improve this offense and add production without actually asking for more from your offense. So here's another example, too. Looking at first and second downs, which we call early downs in the analytics community, the FBS average um, success rate passing in these situations over the last nine years, again, is 42 to 45%. Notre Dame this year is at 42.9%. This is supposed to be a terrible passing offense, yet they're operating right around average, right around an average college football offense and success rate. Running the ball, Notre Dame is at 30, or the FBS average over the last nine years is around 37 to 39%. Notre Dame this year is at 35.3%, about 2% below average. Despite everyone saying this is a bad passing offense, despite everyone saying they don't have weapons, the Shamrock today, or their latest podcast said, can Notre Dame run a modern offense? And they also, to their credit, said, can Notre Dame even run a, a offense based around the rushing attack? They can. They are, in terms of efficiency, they are able to. And yet, this is 
all with Tyler Buckner as quarterback. We'll get into Drew Pine in a bit. They're operating from an efficiency standpoint, just to right around FBS average, which is not what you're hoping for as the University of Notre Dame football team, but just altering that play calling to being more pass heavy. This year on the season, they're at a 45.2% early down pass rate. If you make that 55, 60% and maintain the same efficiency, even if it drops a little bit, you're teasing out extra production and offensive just efficiency and gains without actually asking for more from your players. Those are the changes that need to happen with starting this week with Cal, where you're you're actually just it's very low hanging fruit. It's easy. They're, these are their solutions. They're right there in front of you. But you, as a coaching staff, you have to find those to just as a first step to move forward. Yeah. No. And I mean, looking at some of the numbers from uh, your review of the game that you put up on the Substack, which excellent work once again. The answer is kind of staring us in the face. Like Notre Dame wants to use their running backs. Utilize Chris Tyree in creative ways. He's such a fun and efficient player, and he's got great speed. Get him out wide and throw like bubble screens and stuff to him. Put him in the trip stacks and get him moving on first down with blockers out in front. You don't need to put him between the tackles where we're clearly struggling. There are so many ways to utilize a player like that with his natural pass catching ability and his speed. And like you can do that on first down and set your up, yourself up for success. If you're going to run on second down, it better be like second and one or lower because at this point we're not capable of picking up other yards than that. For all the hype early on in the offseason about like Audric Estime, like has he broken a tackle yet other than that one like third second and 10 run that or second and 9 run that actually went for first down? Like I it's just not there. And like I don't know. I I really like Drew Pine. He's a nice kid. I guess he's a nice man now. He's older now, but um, when he was in high school, he was a nice guy. Really liked his family. He might be like, a drinking age now. You know, I, I'm rooting for him. But, I, <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird. I don't like that. And that kid was like, – he's still 18 and in high school in my mind. No, like, I'm rooting for him, but I just don't know that he has the juice. Like, his interception that he threw on, like, what was his first passing play when he came in, that was, like, some shit that I would do if I was playing Madden at 2 a.m. after you come home from the bar. Like, you just forget that the linebacker's there, and you're like, well, I'm going to do it. And then you just throw the pick. It's like, well, that didn't go well. Like, it's just not acceptable. Like, he's and he's been like that. He's kind of scattershot. He's not the most accurate. He doesn't really hit guys in stride. Like, I don't know that Drew Pine has what we need. Now, on the other hand, Steve Angeli barely got reps in the spring and summer because he rolled with the other two guys, and now we're in this situation. So Notre Dame's kind of backed themselves into a hole. Hopefully throughout the season – Either Pine can step it up and be something better than what we thought he could be, or Angeli will get a shot and surprise everyone. Angeli showed quite a bit of mobility in the uh, in the spring game in terms of his ability to scramble. If he can produce that but keep his eyes up and actually throw the ball, he might actually end up being our best bet. Because from what we've seen from Pine, he doesn't really scramble and keep his eyes up too much. He's more of like, a, I'm just going to go. He'll surprise you with your quickness the first time he scrambles, and then after that it's just uh, – He's not catching anybody off guard. So, yeah, I mean, we just need to we need to figure out the early down efficiency stuff, and it's going to start with what do we get from the quarterback? Because given how Reese handled things with Tyler Buckner, who, I mean, for all the faults he had, like when he would give shake-up looks either in the zone read or the RPO game on first down was pretty effective. I have to imagine that as soon as one of these guys makes a mistake on an early down pass, Reese is just going to cross that stuff out of his playbook. Like, nope, not doing that again. And we're going to have to sit here and watch Audrey Gassime run for two yards on first and second down and just live in third and six. 
Yeah, one of one of the reasons we last season we weren't on the Drew Pine train, so to speak, when there was I guess a pseudo controversy, Drew Pine or Jack Cohn, when Buckner was still hurt too at the time. He had like sure he led um a couple touchdown drives. He played came in, stepped up well against Wisconsin, led a touchdown drive, I think, against Cincinnati. But he showed pretty significant accuracy issues in those games, and it's a limited sample. He only played thirty. He only had thirty six passing or dropbacks last year, something like that. But he was showed pretty alarming accuracy issues, where it was like a sub fifty percent or around fifty percent completion percentage. His adjusted completion percentage, which accounts for drops and throwaways, was around the same as well. Just uh, that is the concern with Pine, where he. And Buckner might not have been the most accurate quarterback either, but at least had the legs to offset it. But at the same time, Buckner was actually a lot less efficient this year as a runner than he was last year. I think part of it, no, he is a lot has a lot bigger workload. Maybe he's more fatigued during the game, but also teams are more prepared for it because he's the starting quarterback, so they are game planning for it every week as the primary function of the offense versus just a sub package they kind of have to worry about for five to ten snaps a game, if that. But Last season, Buckner ran for 0.28 EP ever play, 64th percentile, 62% success rate, success rate, just a, a really just great runner asset on the ground. But this year that dropped to exactly zero EPA per play um, and only a 45% success rate. Still a lot better than the running backs. So that that was basically the, the run game, the only successful run game we had. But oh, that's a sad stat. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my general point there is that you Pine, or if it ends up being Steve Angeli at some point in the season, don't necessarily have to be that much better than um, than Buckner as a passer. They still have to surpass his production to offset that lack of rushing ability that both of them just don't necessarily have in their games. But that is kind of the main point I'm trying to bring here and why you can build a pass-first offense, a pass-first offense, pass first offense around these guys because you don't need to need them to be cj stroud level of level of efficiency bryce young level of level of efficiency man i can't talk tonight but um for this offense to work you you need to be pass first also to protect them from avoiding third and longs they are inexperienced quarterbacks you didn't do that for tyler buckner you better do that for drew pine or steve angeli so give them give them a lot of reps where they're passing on first and 10. You can live with a four yard pass on first and 10, make it second and six. You can live with the four yard pass on third and on second and six to make it third and two. Those are okay. You don't want to force them into third and sevens, third and eights, second and 10, second and 15s consistently where you're asking them to throw the ball downfield often and with accuracy and resulting in large, long completions when clearly you don't have faith in the wide receiver room. Clearly you don't have faith in the passing game. Make it easy on them, and it'll also be more efficient because this running game is just not not it right now. Absolutely. No, and what's a shame, too, is like people always say, like, oh, if you want to run the play action stuff, you have to be running the ball well, which we've talked about, like, I don't know, 50 times in our podcast. And yeah, keep and talking. Stuff. I'm going to pull up PFF's uh, numbers on play action in this Marshall game. Cool. Yeah, no, like Tyler Buckner was really good on the play action, and – it's not necessarily just because he was a runner. Like, yeah, he had the added element of, like, Notre Dame could bootleg or, like, scramble out of play action with him, which was admittedly pretty rad. But, like, 
you can be efficient like that with Drew Pine or with Steve Angeli. I think what we need to see moving forward is like we definitely need to see an extreme change, like 10% or more change in the early down passing to set up efficiency to avoid those third and longs. We need to see more utilization to play action to give those guys more space to throw over the linebackers, particularly if Angeli plays because I think he has a little bit of a stronger arm than Drew Pine. And I think given what we've seen from him, he has a little bit more ability to operate like the bootleg stuff where the linebackers would come up and then you get a little bit more space over the middle or up the seam. Um, And you need to utilize motion more. Like give these guys easy reads. I, I think I've talked about this on like five of the last six podcasts I've been on, but just like use motion to give quarterbacks cues for what they're looking at, especially when you have young quarterbacks. How easy is it? to even just shift a wide receiver from one side of the formation to the other. Literally just have him line up on the wrong side and shift over. You will learn if they're in man. You will see their safety cues. You will see their shell at least have to reform in order to change to your formation. Especially if you move from like a stack to a traditional like uh, 11 personnel or something or a 12 personnel, like you will see them move and react. And that's all you need for the pre-snap diagnosis. If Notre Dame had been using motion more, some of these picks might have been avoided because they would have understood the coverage that they're in. Because Marshall was literally just sitting in the same coverage, playing low leverage the entire game. And Reese was basically just like, nope, it's about execution. It's not about changing the game plan. If you get us into more manageable us, if you get Notre Dame into more manageable situations on first and second down, you don't have to be calling curl routes with on like third and six and have them just sitting there waiting at the sticks. These are all foreseeable issues that are able to be fixed if you just have a game plan for the early downs. And Notre Dame's game plan for the early downs seems to be bang our head against the wall and just pretend like it's going to get better. It's not. Like, you have the guys you have. You need to be able to figure something out. And I don't know. I, I don't know that it's going to get better with Tyler Buckner injured, but you got to hope that this was a learning experience. Like, all right, we got to change something, like, systematically. Because at this point, like, are we a five-win team right now? <laughs> like, this is not good. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring up that in a second. But, yeah, to, to the point about play action, you you just don't need a running game for it to work. The reason being, and we, we harp on this consistently, and this is this is true. It's It's been found to be true through a lot of research. But the reason being, defenders and linebackers are keying in on certain players as part of their reads, as part of their run defense just how like schemes operate versus reacting to what the offense is doing, reacting to like how the, how the running game is doing for the opposing offense. Like they don't care about that because they're coached. And this is starting to change a little bit um, as more modern concepts are taught in in defenses. The more progressive defenses are, are learning to defend the pass first, but historically, and I think this is still true for most college teams too, is they're looking for certain keys on the offensive side that, will lead them to defend the runner pass first. Notre Dame against Marshall had a 40% success rate on the ground and negative 0.25 EPA per play. They threw on play action 11 times, completed nine passes for 132 yards, 12 yards per attempt, with an eight out of average depth of target of 7.5. Like, there's no reason to not have that number be closer to 40%. Though it's 30% of their plays, dropbacks, by the way. You you can base make this offense heavy play action despite only running 30% of the time. You can throw 70% of the time, make a heavy play action, and it's going to work. I think the adverse to like the, 
the traditional like thought about it is actually true. If you run play action enough, at some point the linebackers are going to get in a bind, and at some point oh, yeah. they will take false steps, and you will have more openings for you to get to the second level on offense as opposed to them coming downhill fast enough to stop you. I think play action is going to benefit your run game more than the other way around. Like you're going to create openings. Um, it's just it's such yeah, an negotiate box game. counts. Like you look yeah. at. Uh, you look at how the Colts run their defense now. I know that's the NFL, so it's a little different. But, like, off-play action, their linebackers don't bite at all. They're told to sit and play the pass. They just sit in place and they wait. And that changes your box counts. It changes the way that you can get up. And if you have an athletic offensive line, which despite some of the issues that we've had, Notre Dame has a very athletic offensive line. Like, if you can get to the second level before those guys can get fully downhill with, like, a full head of steam, yeah, you're going to have more success running the ball. Because you're actually going to have a blocker in the hole as opposed to a guy coming crashing down. And play action is going to create that opening because these guys are going to be in their own head. Like, okay, well, they just burned it over my head for freaking four plays in a row. I can't do that again. i got to take a step back. It's going to open up opportunities. And I know that's not the traditional way of looking at it, but it seems to be true based on like how Notre Dame operates and how colleges operate in general out of play action going back to their power run game out of those same looks. It's really efficient. Tradition hasn't done anything hasn't done anything for Notre Dame this year so far, so they should maybe think about breaking it. Not not for the game day experience. That's awesome. <laughs> if we lose in green jerseys, are they going to throw things at the players? <laughs> oh, I think so. Yeah, and like to that point about the offensive line too. I I don't think they're lacking of talent. Like despite yeah what you said about tackles converting to guards, like those are still quality players. They're getting four stars consistently. Um, I think one of the things we haven't finalized this yet, but we do play charting for every game and we I did it for the Ohio State game for Notre Dame's offense. And one thing I consistently noticed is that for many of Notre Dame's plays, they were at a yeah. blocking deficit. So what that means is Notre Dame has a certain amount of blockers on every play. So five offensive linemen plus any tight ends um, who or running backs for that matter, like who are lined up as a fullback essentially are considered blockers on that play. And then, for Ohio State, for any defense, any team Notre Dame plays, we track like the box count. So how many defenders are within about like five to eight yards of the line of scrimmage, and then how many are basically within the tackles or a little leeway on the outside. Notre Dame was consistently at a minus one or minus two deficit there. To me, that screams more of a schematic issue versus a talent issue. Like they they have struggled, no question. But against Marshall, the offensive line put up a seventy-one. Hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it from there one more time while I get the official numbers. Yeah, against Marshall, the offensive line put up a 70.3 run blocking grade. Like, to me, what that what that tells me is this is more of a schematic issue where it's becoming pretty predictable when Notre Dame's going to run and def- defenses are lining up pretty heavily. Or, if that's not the case, Notre Dame is running into run defense looks without even like questioning whether this is going to work or not where it is where they're not at an advantage they don't have an edge over the defense they're running into looks where they know they're gonna they're at a deficit at a disadvantage and it's predictably failing the one of the another good thing about an offensive coordinator who not only makes it easier for their players to, to succeed is negotiating box counts you can do this by spreading out your team and running into spread looks where you don't necessarily have an extra blocker as a, in a tight end but you are moving defenders away from the box because they just have to guard the receivers or else 
if they choose not to, there's going to be an open player. So it's it's a pretty simple concept in theory, and it, NFL teams do this consistently. <laughs> that is the area where the most change needs to happen in my mind for quick improvements. It's it starts with Tommy Reese. There's there's just no reason at this point to continue to base this offense again around a rushing game, or unless you're just gonna like do this and just hope they improve over the course of the year and possibly just continue losing along the way until they do because there's no recourse if they to me there's no not a like a great path to recouping this season into an eight win nine win ten win campaign our model gives Notre Dame a 1.2 percent chance of running the table at this point so that's winning 10 games unless they make significant changes offensively and not abandon the run but let Harry Houston coach and do his work in silence while you on Saturdays in front of big audiences, you for now base this offense around a passing attack that we know is more efficient and significantly more efficient than the running game. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't have much to add. I'm just, I'm just so sad. <laughs> we lost some Marshall at home. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think the one thing where why I don't think it's the end of the world is like which helps when you have a model to look at this from is if Notre Dame played Marshall tomorrow. I guess what, what would you put the line at? If Notre Dame played Marshall tomorrow, where would you put the spread? I know where fans will put the spread. Fans will put the spread at like minus two, but I don't know. Probably, I mean, like we're still at a distinct talent advantage. Like you'd, you'd think it would be like, you know, a seven point. At least, maybe, probably more than that. Yeah, I. Yeah, our model had it as like minus fifteen point like five going into the game. I think it'd be probably like minus ten to twelve still. I didn't run the numbers for this, but like I, it. What happened on Saturday, like it should lower your opinion of Notre Dame, but our model still has Notre Dame as the twenty first best team in the country. There's not a, like a deserving ranking, by the way. That's like who we think are the best teams. There's too much evidence of talent on this team, for. The, for a lot of for fans to think that this is the end of the program, fire everybody, but there needs to be change at the same time. That that's the main thing. Where it's like, I don't think the world is going to end with this program. I don't think, I I don't think this team is on the path to a three and nine campaign. But there is a very tangible and real downside that now exists for this season that wasn't the case two weeks ago. Yeah. So Notre Dame now is projected. We have them projected for. 6.8 wins on the season with seven wins being the most likely outcome at 29%. There's still a 33% chance that they finish with eight wins or more, but there's a very real downside right now that like thir- one in three chances happens all the time. They it happens one in three times, but it's not a low probability, but there is a very real downside. There's a one in six chance now that they finish with five or fewer wins. Yeah. So there should be alarm in that building. There should, there needs to be changes. We have, if, if anyone's listening to this podcast who is on staff in Notre Dame, we've given you some tangible changes to make that should, it, I'm, I can't guarantee it, but like should lead to um, positive, positive outcomes for the offense. But I think there's still too much talent on this team for it to fully implode. Yeah, no. I mean, if we want to transition to the defense, the defense gets, has really gotten a lot of negativity over the last two weeks. I'm like, I don't know. The defensive effort against Ohio State was impressive. And really, I thought the defense played pretty well, all told, other than they, obviously like the, what was it, 94 or whatever yard drive towards the end of the game that Marshall had was rough. 
we had them stopped. And then Ramon Henderson and one other player who I can't remember, I think it was one of the linebackers, both like bit on a fake and just couldn't get to the outside to stop the chase on that third and long. And they ended up just driving down the field after that. And like, I, I know that people have talked about like, oh, we're like outside the top 100 in run defense. It's because we're gassed. It's because the defense is on the field the whole game. You can't go three and out like 15 times in a game and then be like, oh, defense, save us. Dude, they gave up 19 points to Marshall at home. That should be more than enough to win the game. And the offense wasn't good enough to do it. They threw a pick six and they couldn't, they just couldn't sustain drives. And like the defensive line has been a major disappointment. Shockingly, Isaiah Foskey, I mean, he had the sack, but like shockingly, Jason Adam is like the entire defensive line so far this year. Pretty much all the offseason hype about Riley Mills has not really been realized. Isaiah Foskey has not been as productive as he was last year. Justin Adamalola has really stepped up against the run, but he's not doing much against the pass. Our linebackers are, I think, working overtime to do a lot of good things, especially Jack Kaiser. And Maris Leofow has been okay. Um, a couple bad angles, but pretty good overall. But, like, we're just a mess. We're not forcing turnovers in any way because our guys are really not that aggressive, especially on the back end. And we're not getting pressure on the quarterback in like a substantial ways that finish plays. We're getting decent pressure with four-man rushes. But, I mean, look, we weren't going to finish on C.J. Stroud. But we weren't able to really create like pressure enough to cause disruptions to the offense in the second half yesterday, or on Saturday. And that's because they were so gassed by the second half. These guys are tired. It's tough to do, like, 30 pass rush snaps. It's a tough thing to do, especially for college players. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't quite understand the negativity around the defense because while they did have some low moments, at some point you have to realize that these are like 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who are just exhausted because they've been on the field the entire game and are being asked to carry this program. That's not fair. Like, that's just not fair to put on their shoulders. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the negativity negativity stems from – the perception that this was an elite defense coming into the year. And if you have followed this account, have followed us on Twitter, listen to our podcast, you would know we wouldn't have made that claim. I think they're a very good defense, like very solid. But they, there wasn't that much evidence that they were this top-tier elite defense. And I think that's where also the expectation that this team could compete from the play- for the playoff came from as well. I think that's where this like disappointment comes from, where people had way too high lofty expectations. Like Foskey was going to be this animal on the defense uh, as a pass rusher and become a first round top 20 pick. It's that's a disappointing for sure. But also like the rest of this defense was pretty far away. The secondary had question marks. It, it seems to be a little bit better than expected, but also like it wasn't anything elite by any means. The linebacker position has a lot of talent, but the guys currently playing the majority of the snaps some of them aren't necessarily the best maybe the best players on the roster or most talented at the very least um i think i think that's the thing but yeah like 19 points against marshall should not be a problem like i don't i don't care like nine an elite defense giving up a 94 yard drive sure that's that's bad and you'd want a, a defense to make that stop but also it's 19 freaking points. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we complaining? Like stop, stop making excuses for Tommy Reese in the offense. It, 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 it's irrelevant. We our model predicted Marshall for 22 points. They scored 19 on offense. The pick six, I don't really count. Stop making excuses for this offense. That is where the majority of the problems are going to, or majority of the problems with this team 
need to be solved for improvements in the record and in the results. This defense is solid. There's room for improvement, but half of this team has been good, like good enough. And it's not, and it's for sure not the offense. I want to, I want to curse bad, but I let's keep this PG. It's, it's not the offense. They have not been good. They have not been good enough. 21 points against Ohio state. Great performance. 19 points against Marshall. Okay. But it is for sure enough for the offense to put up more. This is a, that was a failure of the offense side of the ball. I don't know that that's where I, that's why I don't think this is an end of the world, like devastating loss. Cause it wasn't a full on collapse where Notre Dame got blown out at home against a team that might go eight and four in the Sun Belt. Like that half of this team came ready to play and played well enough to, to for a win on Saturday. Half of this team needs to figure it out quickly and it's going to be a lot harder with Buckner out, but we gave some, some suggestions that can be followed that could lead to improvements. A lot of question marks with, with the quarterback position, but I think one thing that the injury leads to is you can have a short leash with both Pine and Angeli. Pine's a junior. If, if you still consider Buckner as the face of your program next season, you can have a short leash with Pine. He's going to graduate after this year. He could be a grad transfer. Or if he succeeds, then you found your guy. And Angeli's a freshman. You don't have to necessarily worry about, like, now that they're 0-2 in the playoffs out of the question for sure, like, thankfully, because it never was really realistic in my mind, you can be more open and take more risks with the offense and trying to develop him further rather than trying to squeak out these one-score games that it seems like they've been trying to do so far this year on offense. Yeah, and one thing that I've been impressed with on, like, the defensive side is, like, they're willing to play young guys. Like, Benjamin Morrison's played a ton. Like, I think Jaden Mickey's gotten in a little bit, too. Like, they're willing to say, like, all right, look, we don't have all the answers. Cam Hart's been a little bit banged up, and, like, Clarence Lewis obviously is, like, a better player than he gets credit for, but has his limitations. Um, so they've been willing to go after, you know, hey, Benjamin Morrison, go out there and make a play. And he does it. The offense doesn't seem to have that same trust. Like, I understand Tobias Merriweather missed some time. We haven't fully been at practice. But, like, after watching what happened with the receivers, like, Brayden Lindsay had a ball bounce off his helmet. That was so hard to watch. Jaden Thomas fell over like three times in his breaks. Now, not all the way to the turf fell over, but like slipped on the ground in his breaks multiple times. Like, put Tobias out there. If nothing else, he is 6'4", fast, and has pretty good breaks because he has the length. Like, all of a sudden, he's five yards away from you in two steps because he's huge. Put him out there and let him stretch the field or do something to create like opportunities for other guys. Yeah, if you don't think you can run a full route tree, tell tell him these are your three routes. We will tell you each play which one you're running, and that's exactly. it. Like I, I don't I don't know him personally. I don't know anything. Like with any receiver, this could be anyone. If they don't know the full route tree, I don't care. If like if they can run three routes good and like wet really well, better than like the same routes some other guy can run. Put them in. Just tell them what they're running on that play, and just see what happens. Like that that makes no sense. It just it just makes no sense. Look, when Joe Wilkins comes back, it's going to be a big boon because if nothing else, Joe Wilkins has like freakishly long arms and has a huge catch radius. Has shown some big play capabilities, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, unlike most of our receivers, barring Styles, like he's actually really fun to watch. (laughs) I genuinely enjoy watching (laughs) Joe Wilkins play football. But like, Tobias Merriweather has a skill set and just a physical, athletic ability. 
that no one else on this team has. We just don't have that guy. He's probably more similar to, like, I was going to say he's kind of similar to Miles, but I think he's faster than Miles in terms of, like, his acceleration. It's not just, like, straight line speed. He can kind of get acceleration out of his brakes and stuff. That's pretty unique for his size. So, like, find a way to use him. He doesn't have to be the number one receiver. He doesn't have to know the whole playbook. But even if he's just a decoy running down the field, drawing coverage and creating mismatches that they have to address or, like, he's going to be open, that's an opening. That's an opening where the safety has to drop back instead of coming down and Michael Mayer is not getting bracketed. Or that's an opening where Lorenzo Styles can get underneath because the linebacker had to shift because uh, Tobias Merriweather just ran like an in from the outside of the field and he's now coming open over the middle. Like, those are mismatches that you can create simply by having someone who's big. And if you have to, have someone literally tell him like what he's doing on the play. That's not impossible for freshmen literally have one of the senior players like you are running this route coming out of the huddle that's fine <laughs> it's okay they have <laughs> like, there's no there's no deep threat know, on this just... team like that against so i so I, I was at the ohio state game like consistently 12 guys within the line of scrimmage at like almost every play they're not scared of this offense taking the top off like Braden Lindsay, i guess is the is the deep threat but he has that 130 yard catch against ohio state and then he has one more catch for what five yards like you need you need to create separation you need to create space in the second level for other guys to operate and also to take those deep shots as well that it's it's really confusing just it it's really confusing i swear to god brandon Lindsay just like douses his hands in movie theater butter you want to know who leads the team in a dot right now it's, it's this is just funny it's it's not real a real stat oh god uh is it Jaden thomas no, it's Matt Salerno. His, his oh, one yeah, target it for is. Twenty. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really real. It's one target for twenty-four, but then it's Brady Lindsay who has <laughs> what in the world? Eleven targets and two catches. Honestly, play Matt Salerno over Braden Lindsay. I don't care if he's a former walk-on. He made a okay, that that is a hot take. That is a hot take. You want to know what the you know this is. We're turning it just delusional now on the on the pod, but I'm okay. Just angry. <laughs> <laughs> one one more um, or two more uh, stats for you before we wrap up the losing our minds segment and and this podcast. Well, what is the passer rating NFL passer rating uh, right now on passes targeted thrown to Braden Lindsay? Like six. <laughs> it's three point two. Oh my god! I doubled it. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, uh, that's real bad. <laughs> yeah, the, it. This is genuine, just confusion, confusion, and exasperation in our voices right now. <laughs> Joe Wilkins is desperately needed. Play Tobias Mer- Merriweather. Play once he gets healthy, Deion Colsey. And like the amazing thing is, Notre Dame is still more efficient with these stats at throwing the football than running the football. That is what needs to like needs to sink in. Despite all of this, despite all of like all of this lack of production and just like kind of hilariously bad stats that we're reading off, they are still better at throwing the football than running the football. That is the crux of this argument. That is the crux of this podcast. That is the crux of my existence essentially that it doesn't matter who you have at receiver. It doesn't matter what they what an individual player produces. If as a collective they are more productive than your rushing attack, or vice versa, it could be the exact opposite. It's just not where Notre Dame is right now. 
you do the thing you're better at more. That's just, I, that's what I don't get. And the solutions we suggested, maybe not throw to Braden Lindsay as much, maybe use him in a different role because it seems like the deep route, the role he's in right now as a deep threat artist is not well suited for him. Use him maybe more as a underneath guy. Use him more as like how Styles is used. Maybe have two of those guys running the intermediate crossers. Maybe have both of them run crossing routes. I don't know. But that is where like these improvements need to come from, where they're better at passing with these weird stats already. Throw the ball more. Find ways to incorporate more guys into the passing game to keep your receivers fresh. And maybe change the rolls up. Lindsay doesn't seem to be a great deep ball threat other than he can run fast. Maybe try to use that speed in a shorter in a route where he can get open quick. It's a shorter, it's an easier catch, easier ball to catch, and get him, make him more of a um, yards after catch monster. Remember in 2019, 2020, these end around sweeps where he was a big play threat for 20, 50, 70 yard plays. Mm-hmm. And bubble screens. Exactly. Like that. These are these are the ways that Notre Dame needs to move forward. Yeah, we should we should wrap it on, until we fully just lose it. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Hopefully it didn't turn into a, a just kind of a psych ward at the end. Hopefully you actually made sense of what we were trying to say, but there are tangible steps to go forward with this program and the, the team, the 2022 Notre Dame football team. This team is not as bad as it seems after Marshall, but there are changes that need to be made to go forward. So yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. You can check us out at ND underscore FB underscore analytics on Twitter and at shake the net, shake down the numbers.substack.com. Yeah, that'll do it for us. We'll be back next week recapping, hopefully, um, the first win in the Marcus Freeman era. No longer Tyler Buckner because of the injury. But yeah, I, I feel pretty good. Oh, I should say too, Notre Dame, we, our model has Notre Dame projected as a winner against Cal. 77.8% win probability, 375 to 21.9 projected score. So another game where Notre Dame is a should be a not a prohibitive favorite, but one where they should win fairly easily. I think the Vegas spread is minus 11 Notre Dame. This team can still be pretty good. We have them as the 21st best team in the country. Hopefully we see improvement beginning with Saturday and primarily on the offensive side of the ball. But yeah, thanks for listening again, everyone. And as always, go Irish.